0: Hello and welcome to Not Compliant Enough. I'm your podcast host Carista, and today we are on episode 17. Uh, this episode is going to take a slightly different twist. Um, this is going to be a bit more personal today. So I know that I've gone through and, and you know, provided anecdotals and all sorts of different things um, throughout Sort of the series of this podcast, and we're introducing more interviews and things. But today, I actually wanted to really delve into, I guess, my journey and, you know, why uh, I created this space, why I think it's important that we speak about these things. <clears throat> and I guess trigger warning, it's going to cover things like miscarriage and suicide, um, ideation and things like that. So if those things are triggering for you, please um, you know, tune out. Um, And for those of you who are struggling, I see you. I really see you. Um, So to begin, well, look, when we're looking at a work context, I mean, I started working quite young. I uh, used work as an escape from a very emotionally and physically abusive household. Um, And that helped to you know, helped me to cope really was um, being out of that environment, work was the safe space uh, to go to that helped me escape. Um, But as the years have gone on and the more work I've done on myself and the more things that I've gone through and experienced, the more I realised that work was not the safe haven that it had been through so many years um, it actually became quite abusive in itself. And interestingly, like, I think when it comes to work and it comes to workplaces, um, sorry, dry mouth, going to take a sip of tea. Mm, That's better. Uh, when we come to work and we come to workplaces, you know, it's like this, um, you know, they're these places that people want to create these cultures that they don't want people to leave and they want them to come in and, and, you know, spend all their time there and spend so much energy and time there. And, you know, companies set that up purposely so that people kind of want to be there, but also don't want to leave in a sense. And so what you see there is, you know, what we've seen with Google and places like that, who kind of initially started a lot of this, you know, these extra things um, like pool tables and relaxation areas and things like that. Like I remember being in Scotland and the parliament there actually have like these little kind of meditation, relaxation hubs. It's it's um, interesting architecture, let's put it that way. But what so many of these places do is they really try and, um, you know, create these, these spaces for people to, to go to that, you know, they don't really want to leave so that they're just going to provide, um, and do more work for them, which obviously works out for companies, right? Like that's, you know, what they want is they want people to work hard. They want more out of their employees, all of that sort of thing. Um, but in my time of working crazy, I mean, I, um, at 21, I was working like five jobs uh, to save to go overseas. And I was working in hospitality. And let's just say that, you know, at that age, like, well, I would have been 20 because I I, went, I got a one-way ticket uh, with my boyfriend at the time and we went straight to London. And that was like a week after, it was a week after the London bombings that happened. Um, and it was also sort of yeah, just after I turned 21. So it was a really interesting time. Um, but in the lead up to that, like I remember ending up at the doctors with these huge, like heart palpitations and, you know, I had tight pains in my chest. Um, I didn't know what was going on and doctor was like, look, you know, you're incredibly stressed. Like you need to not be working so much. And and for me, I was like, well, I can't do that. Like I'm, I, you know, they need me. Um I'm needed in all of these places. Like I work really hard. I'm I'm yeah, like, you know, I can't take time off and I'm saving and all this sort of thing. And I remember I was working at a restaurant and I, you know, had to go to my next shift. So I was doing a nighttime um, I was doing like this nighttime shift and then I had to go to my next job, which was a graveyard shift um, at a club, which started at like 11 at nine and finished at four in the morning. And I had just a fucking breakdown. I was overexhausted. I was yeah, like I was entirely burnt out, like incredibly burnt out. And that was at a time where burnout wasn't really something that people acknowledged or knew about. Um, and so I was incredibly burnt out and, and back then I used to smoke because that's what you did in hospitality. you get a break was you'd go out for a smoker. And I remember going out the back for a smoke and I just was in tears. I could was, I was inconsolable. Like I could not stop crying. And the the head chef and actual owner of the restaurant was, you know, he came out and he's like, oh my gosh, like, you're right. And I was like, no, I'm just, I'm not coping. And he's like, look, just, you know, go home, like go home and sleep and just, you know, relax. And I'm like, I can't, I've got to go to my next job. And he's like, listen, I will call up for you. Like you are not going, just go home and actually relax. And the stubborn person that I am, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I went to that, that next job. Um, but equally, like he was so kind in that he arranged a appointment, a massage, uh, with his massage therapist. And she was such a beautiful lady. And so I went and had this massage and I went to go pay her and she's like, no, it's already been fixed up. And I was like, what? And she's like, no, he's already sorted it out. I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, I just think those moments, like those moments really matter. And in stark contrast to that, and this is where it's getting really personal. Um, in 2020, I was unexpectedly pregnant. Um, I'd had a one night stand and I had no idea that I was pregnant. And prior to that, I'd been going through these really chronic health issues so I had chronic fatigue uh unknowingly that only came up in like blood tests that you know they were like oh you've had chronic fatigue I'm like no I haven't (laughs) they're like yeah it's in your bloods I'm like well I worked through that um so I'd worked through chronic fatigue I'd like yeah I I was just working like crazy and uh, in 2015 I had gone on this like six-week trip went to a wedding in Istanbul, went and toured Italy, Switzerland, France, went to Ireland, like to visit people from when I used to live there. Um, I did this like massive trip and came back, started a new job um, and ev- everything was going great. Like it was all really good. Um, You know, you, you go have these like breaks and then you come back all relaxed and you're like, oh, yeah, this is fine. You know, this is amazing. Like, Yeah anyway, lo and behold, like those kind of, you know, those habits that you get into where you just kind of overwork are really easy to fall back into. And so, you know, this person of me who, you know, is incredibly hardworking, like that is one thing that I know how to do really fucking well, Um, is to work really hard. And so when I came into this job and like I was working as the executive assistant to a CEO so it was quite a hectic kind of role really busy everyone wants a piece of you all the time like there's just there's no off button and I would spend my weekends literally just fucking sleeping I couldn't do anything I really didn't have any social life because I was working like crazy and then um In order to cope with the busyness of my job and like not really being able to talk to anyone about it either, because when you're in those positions, um, and they're incredibly lonely. I mean, as a CEO, those positions are incredibly lonely as well. But like as the executive assistant to a CEO, those positions are incredibly lonely because people generally only want to talk to you because you can get like you can do something for them and they want. To get something out of you, like they want, you know, to put a good impression into the CEO and all the rest of it. So they usually use you in order to do that. Um, and so you know, you've kind of got a front all all the time. Like you can't be real with people because when you do divulge information to people, they use that against you or they use it as gossip or whatever. And so these are incredibly lonely positions. And like, you kind of take on a lot of that emotional and mental burden yourself. Um, And even doing things outside of that, like, I was really proactive in trying to, you know, I'd been through chronic fatigue I'd I'd had massive bouts of burnout in my years like um I knew what that looked like and I knew where that led to and this was probably one of the worst that I actually got to um if I'm honest because I got to a point where there was all these things that started going wrong like I you know I had had depression in the past, but like this didn't feel like depression. It felt different. And I was really proactive in looking to find people to help and and things to do. And, you know, I'd tried therapy in the past and that wasn't entirely helpful. I didn't really find a very good therapist. Um, I, tr- you know, I tried a psychiatrist who, uh, when I had worked with her in Canberra, she was really great, but also I did get to the point where I ended up going on Andy depressants which it wasn't it was something that I really didn't want to do but I knew at the time I needed to do that and I am thankful for those because they did help me at the time but equally like it was still a band-aid to so much of what was going on underneath and so um like in the lead up to this incident in 2020 um you know all of this like health stuff was coming up and i was going to doctor to doctor to doctor and i had so many blood tests it was actually incredible like you know i was a pincushion and i also joked that i'd be the worst junkie in the world because i can never they can never find a vein like they can just never find a vein um so like jokes aside but yeah it's um so in going through this process, in, in discovering what was really going on, I think part of that I saw that, you know, work was actually killing me um, and it was killing me slowly. And, you know, the support that workplaces profess to have is just really not there. Um, so much of the onus is put on the individual to be the one to speak up, to be the one to go fix themselves, to be the one to, you know, do all of the things. And I think that there's a level of, um, incredible responsibility and blame shifting there that happens. And it makes you feel like you have like failed as a person because you can't sort your own shit out. And that's actually so fucking detrimental to people in that situation because, um, yeah, I got to this point where I was like incredibly depressed. I was drinking quite a lot, um, as a way to cope. Um, I was drinking because work was stressful and that was the stress release. Um, and that's what I'd grown up around too. Um, so, you know, like we're not really taught particular ways in order to decompress from these situations, um, and our society, like, reinforces that. I mean, particularly in Australia, there's a very big drinking culture and, you know, if you've had a bad day at work, it's like, oh, well, just have a glass of wine it'll sort you out. And I think what we're seeing with that is that people aren't actually dealing with what's really going on underneath. And that's totally what had happened for me. Like, I wasn't dealing with it. Um, I sought out so many different types of um like modalities to help in those situations, Um, meditation, Reiki, massage, energetics, um, all sorts of different things, you know, and all of them are useful in their own way. And, and, you know, I am grateful for that process that I went through, but I got incredibly frustrated because I was doing all of the things. I was doing everything that you possibly could to try and fix what the fuck was going on. And I think what we've gotten to, particularly in a lot of our workplaces and in a lot of the ways that uh, practitioners work with people is that not many of them are really trauma-informed. Not many of them really know Um, how to navigate things that are so complex. And in the process of, like, trying to find out what the hell was going on, um, I finally came across, like, it was actually really funny. I went to this, like, cacao ceremony in Bondi um, and, you know, it was just a random thing. It was some chick on Instagram and I was like, oh, yeah, that looks fine you know, like some full moon ceremony or something. And I went along and I had, yeah, I'd been going through all of these doctors. I was just in a really bad space. And I thought, you know, this something was telling me to go. And I sat down and we had to share, you know, part of like what brought us there or what's going on for us and and that sort of thing. And this woman that was sitting next to me who went, like she was telling her story just before mine um, I literally just started crying cause I was just like her story, exactly what she was saying was everything I was going through, everything I had brain fog. I could not function. I it was hardly eating or when I was eating, I was feeling sick. Like there was just so many things going on. My body was just like, I was so frustrated because cognitively I was totally there and I knew that I knew how to do stuff, but, like I just had this constant brain fog that just wouldn't leave. And I was constantly tired, um, and exhausted, like beyond exhausted, I could hardly do anything. I mean, the thought of going for a walk was exhausting, let alone trying to do any sort of exercise. Anyway, this woman, um, was telling her story and I was just like, fuck, that's so familiar. And then she was like, yeah. And then I found this really great integrative doctor who has like done this, these tests with me and we've figured out what's going on. And I was like, I need the name of that doctor. And I did like, that was like one of the, you know, that's sort of perhaps the reason that I went along to that, that night. I don't know, but it definitely was a, Thing that helped to change and actually figure out what the fuck was going on for me. And so part of that process was actually realising that I, um, well, I went to this integrative doctor who did the tests uh, and she specialises in what's known as SIRS, so chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And that actually um, is, well, it's kind of, it's sort of like, um well, it's an autoimmune type thing. It's triggered from mold essentially. So uh, there's two ways that, you know, it's either something that's inherently like in you and that's just the way you're made up, or it's an environmental thing. Most generally it's an environmental type of thing. And so yeah, like the place that I had been living in was very dark and dingy, although I was at work most of the time. So it was good for a weekend of sleeping. Um, And yeah, I went to this integrative doctor who figured out that I had SIRS. So I went through the process of, you know, different binders and different, um, like different vitamins and, and things like that to try and just get any sort of energy back. Cause that was the thing, like, even though I was going through the motions of doing my job and everything like that, like I wasn't really, I was, I was doing it, but I wasn't doing things particularly well because I was so incredibly sick. And in this process, like, you know, in the lead up to even finding this integrative doctor, I mean, I was having brain scans and all different sorts of things. Like, thinking that there was some sort of cancer or you know it was it was definitely a process and those those processes that you go through um to try and I guess pathologize what's happening for you is emotionally so exhausting and I think that we don't really acknowledge that enough like particularly when you don't know and I think that that's part of the the more frustrating thing like I went through, it would have been a good couple of years of like not really knowing what was going on. Um, and when I did finally figure out what was going on, like when I did finally get this doctor and everything like that, it was a relief to be able to know what to actively do. But in amongst all of that, I was dealing with, so um, before, I figured out that that's what was going on. Like in the lead up to that, I was working to the CEO. My, I had a family member go through a divorce for the second time and ended up living with me um, in my one-bedroom apartment while I was working to a very demanding, well, in a very demanding role um, and to a quite demanding person. And I just, I like my body just shut down. I got to a point where I literally spent two weeks asleep in bed and I didn't move Um, and I was beyond tired. Like there's just, when I think back, I just, yeah, like it's incomprehensible just how tired you can be. And so I was beyond tired. I spent like two weeks in bed um, and after that incident, I went back to my workplace and sat down with that CEO and said, "Look, I can't do this anymore. I'm no good to you. Um, I'm no good to myself. I've I'm trying to figure out what's going on with my body. like nothing wants to work anymore. And so anyway, I moved into a different role. Um, and she was incredibly supportive of helping me move into a into a different role. Um, and so I did that. And for the first part of that, it was fine. Like it was slightly less demanding, but also equally as busy. Like I managed to find myself in these incredibly busy roles. Um, But actually what ended up happening was I was incredibly bullied in that role. Um, Like incredibly bullied. And I mean, I'd been bullied in the past, but not to this extent, not to the malicious and insidious way that this bullying was happening um and that was I mean coupled with the health stuff that I was going through that was incredibly hard and I was in a very very dark place um I became incredibly suicidal I was deeply deeply depressed um it was like it was worse, I think, because the support that I did have, even though it was limited, had gone from a little bit to basically none at all. And that was harder because I had people that were actively trying to get rid of me. Um, They were actively trying to undermine what I was doing and yet they would steal what I had you know, the ideas that I'd come up with and use them as their own, um, and then turn around and say that I wasn't doing anything. Um, I ended up kind of, you know, befriending, well, one of my other colleagues was doing a lot of event stuff. So I would actually help them do what they needed to do because the, like the area that I was in was just so incredibly toxic. Um, and it was all women. And I've spoken before about how women are just incredibly cruel. And I came across some of the cruelest women you probably could ever wish upon anyone. Um, And it was literally a witch hunt in a lot of ways. Like they just did not like me and that was fine, but also they were just incredibly awful about it. And so um, because of the health things I had to take time off, I was getting lots of tests and, you know, I was trying to get my, get myself back together. And in doing that, the, the support was just non-existent. Um, and in actual fact, you know, part of that process, I think actually showed me was, you know, even when you're in a bad place, there's so many people that don't actually want to see you get better. They don't actually want to support you and they will do anything in their power to actually undermine that process for you as well. And so I think that, you know, coming back to this like disconnect between support and putting the onus back on the individual, like I was doing everything that I could within my power and within the energetic levels that I had at the time to get myself back together. I was doing everything and yet the environment that I was in and the people that I was around were making that worse and they were making that journey incredibly hard. So yeah, I was incredibly sick. I got the diagnosis and then that really helped to, um, you know, at least I knew what I was working with, and I was working with an integrative doctor who was able to really, like, yeah, help me through that process, which which was an absolute godsend. But the biggest thing that I had to do as well was move out of the place that I was living in because that was causing me illness. Um, and trying to it took me about six weeks to try and find somewhere to move to. Um, but also, I was like, I was so, so tired, like beyond tired. And I mean, I guess the only thing that I can equate it to is like when you're pregnant and you're just incredibly tired, like you go through bouts of that, but that was like me every single day. Like even just to get up and have a shower and go to work was incredibly exhausting. So to on top of that spend my weekends looking for somewhere to live um was just it was exhausting beyond exhausting and so I finally moved and then yeah in 2020 um obviously we all well in Australia like in it would have been March we went into lockdown um and because I'd worked for a federal government organization we were like one of the last you know, last people standing, like they didn't want to, you know, they, they wanted to set the um, example that, oh, it's everything's fine. Well, in hindsight, we know that that's a different thing, but, um, but yeah, in 2020, I, so we went into lockdown. I was baking cupcakes, like there was no tomorrow, you know, like everyone was baking banana bread and I was craving gluten-free vanilla cupcakes. Like they were going out of fashion um, and I was putting on a little bit of weight, like, weren't we all, um, and so is part of the treatment of what I was doing. Um, I was seeing my chiropractor each week and I remember, well, on this particular day, um, I got an Uber over to my chiropractor, um, and I was on the bed and I was having these incredible pains, like absolute incredible pain, um, um, And I was like, oh, maybe it's just a really bad period, you know. Um, And anyway, I, as I was leaving there, I was just, I was in so much pain and I walked up to the shop, um, went to the supermarket, called an Uber, um, did a meeting in the Uber on the way home, had another meeting that I needed to attend uh, and then like I was, I was bleeding a lot and I was like, this is actually really strange. Like this is, this is not normal. Um, anyway, I, yeah, I was like one of those, you know, for those of you in Australia, there was, there was a, I don't know if it's still around, but there used to be a magazine called Dolly, which was like a teen girls magazine. And, you know, they'd write in stories about, um, about, yeah, just like coming of age, like, you know, um, what to do when you see this and blah, blah, blah. Um, But also uh, they used to do things like, you know, I went to the toilet and a baby popped out and that was what I like thought of when it was happening because I was like, I've literally turned into one of those Dolly Doctor stories. Um, So, yeah, I miscarried at home. Um, I was 18 weeks pregnant and it was a shock. And because I'd been through all this health stuff previously, like the normal signs that you would think of um, with pregnancy, just I didn't think anything of them. Like I always felt nauseous. I was feeling nauseous for like two years because that's what was going on for my body. So, yeah, like all the signs that you'd normally equate to pregnancy, I didn't even think of. Like it just didn't occur to me that I was pregnant um, because I'd also taken the morning after pill. So I had actively tried to not get pregnant. Um, and for those playing along at home, if you're using the morning after pill, please be careful because it doesn't always work. <laughs> Case in point right here. Um, but yeah, I was 18 weeks pregnant, um, went to the hospital. Of course, two blokes turn up, like the ambulance, two blokes. Um, Which is always fun when you're like naked in the shower, the baby. Uh, So, yeah, I went to the hospital um, and had surgery. Um, The really, like, I think the thing about these processes and when these experiences happen there's definitely a lot to be said for the people that work in hospitals and the, and the people that are there for support. So I had an incredible social worker that came to visit me. Um, And, you know, it was really interesting because, so for those of you that don't know, and most people probably don't because, you know, I had no idea until I ha- I went through this and then you obviously read all about stuff, but I think it's at 20 weeks, uh, it's considered a stillbirth. And so, um, if I had have been even yeah, a couple of weeks along more than what I had been, I would have had to go through an entire like service, um, like a funeral service. And when I spoke to the, um, to the social worker, like, you know, she kind of, they offer you a a care package of like a teddy bear and things like that. And she's like, you know, would you like that? And I was like, no, I'm fine. Um, I think in that stage I was in so much shock still that I – yeah, I just I really didn't know what was going on. I mean, even in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, I was in the WhatsApp group texting my team, being like, Oh, by the way, um, I'm probably not gonna be in tomorrow because uh something's happened and I'm just on my way to hospital, uh, but it's not COVID. Um, so yeah, like I turned up to the hospital and it was literally like being a rock star because everything was in lockdown. So there was hardly anyone in there. So I had the whole emergency ward to myself, basically. Um And yeah, like, you know, I think there's something to be said about the support and the people that are around you, like, um, in those circumstances and, you know, our health professionals see so much of this and they deal with this every day and just the trauma of, you know, viscerally experiencing that with those people is huge. Um, even when, I was like, cause I was actually quite calm and collected when I turned off, surprisingly. Um, I think in many years of dealing with, um, quite awful situations, I think I'm like, I'm really good in a crisis. <laughs> I'm great in a crisis. Um, when everyone's freaking out, I'm like the cool, calm, collected one, just being like, yeah, we do this. Um, and so yeah, when I got into the emergency ward and everything, like the one of the nurses turned to me and she was like, she was just like, wow, see that doctor over there? He's like incredibly impressed with you. And it takes a lot to impress him. And I'm like, well, you know, that's what I'm here for, just to impress people. Um but you know, jokes aside, it was it was incredibly um hard and it was shocking. And I think the worst part about all of that actually though, um, was not going through it. It was the aftermath of it. And so, you know, the social worker was talking to me about like, um, well, actually what had happened was I was told that I needed to have an autopsy and, um, I was sort of like, oh, okay, like, I guess. And it wasn't until the social worker came to speak to me and she was like, you know, you don't actually have to do that. And I was like, oh, well, if I don't have to, then I'm not going to because I didn't know I was pregnant. So, you know, I was doing like lockdown birthday parties and drinking and things like that because I had no idea. I mean, I was incredibly sick after uh, drinking. So that should have been a sign, but it really wasn't because I was like, oh, maybe my body just doesn't like alcohol anymore. Um, anyway, so yeah, like I was kind of, I think those people around you that help to give you perspective of what's going on help to give you your agency back and they help you to make decisions in that time. When it's incredibly hard too. I mean, so much of it is pressured. Like you're kind of pressured into making decisions in the moment. And it's a hard thing to do when you're still, you know, your body has gone through this incredibly huge thing. And then you're also in the aftermath aftermath of of shock, like you're in so much shock that you don't actually know what's going on. And yeah like it it's just it's one of those experiences that you know it's the after it's what happens afterwards that really changes who you are i think as a person like and you can't go back like when you've gone through those sorts of experiences there's no going back and the reason that i talk about this and the reason that i'm even doing this episode is because when the things that happened to me happened and I spoke up about it, it helped people to open up about their experiences. And so, you know, this is not a um, woe is me story or anything like that at all. This is literally to show people that they are not alone in what they go through and that these things happen. And I think um, so in in terms of like what happens afterwards, um not only was the social worker incredibly helpful you know and then you're ov- obviously I took some time off um and I ended up like yeah going back to my doctor and taking a little bit more time off because I was like oh yeah fine two weeks I'll be fine um but I needed a little bit longer because it it was quite an experience to go through and particularly going through that alone i think that when you go through miscarriage a lot of people obviously are in partnerships and that's incredibly hard as well. And I'm not discounting that in the slightest because, you know, both of you go through that. Um, and even in my situation, like, you know, six months after the fact, I actually called the guy and said, you know, look, I don't want anything from you or anything, but I just want to let you know that this happened. Um, and FYI, we both dodged a bullet here. (laughs) Uh, we could have had a child, Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm being facetious there, but like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, I think sometimes in these incredibly hard situations, you do, you know, you do joke about things to deflect some of that pain, um, and to sort of lighten the situation, but it is incredibly difficult. And I think that it's something that's not spoken about enough. And so, I guess part of my story that I do really want to share is that when I did go back to work and well, I mean, we're all working from home. So when I did sign back in to work and I'd been very open and honest to my manager throughout that whole entire time that I was off, um, I told them exactly what I was going through. And I did ask them to not share that too widely because I was still processing that that experience. Um and look, whether that was um honored or not, I don't know. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. And so when I did log in to work, when I got back to work, um, and I was ready to to, you know, kind of integrate back into a workplace, I had a meeting with my manager that morning and they, you know, like gave me an update, gave me tasks to do. Uh, and then I had the team meeting that we were having every day. Um, and, you know, nothing was said. Everything seemed normal. Everything was fine. Like it was just like going back into into work. Um, and sort of towards the end of this meeting, the like – the head person says to me, oh, you know, I need to speak to you. Can we have a meeting this afternoon? I was like, yeah, sure, fine. Anyway, in that meeting that I had, I was told that I was no longer part of the team, that I'd been moved in a restructure and that I, yeah, it was was effective immediately. Um, And, I mean, yeah, like, I just think in these circumstances, how you get treated and how your workplace treats you when you go through some pretty life-changing, pretty fucking awful things really speaks volumes of the people in that organisation and it speaks volumes of that organisation as a whole. So, yeah, I was... uh, told effective immediately, HR called me. I was like, look, I've been off because I had a miscarriage. Like, it's not like I've just been chucking a sickie or something. Like I've been through a lot and their response was, yes, sorry about that, but you've been reassigned. I'm like, right. And I knew in that moment that I was not going to get any compassion and HR was not there to help me. Um, And I think that that's the other thing. Like we need to stop defaulting to HR being the help people because they actually are not in so many ways like you know that's why people are are not you know they don't go to HR because they're not actually helpful because they are all about protecting the company as opposed to really meaningfully giving a shit about staff so word of warning Um, but also something to think about and yeah and then the team leader of the place that I was meant to be of the area that I was meant to be moving to. Um, she called me and I told her what I was going through. And I was like, look, you know, this is all a shock to me. I've just been through a really shocking experience and this is, yeah, like this is actually fucking awful, um, to do this. Like this is not okay. Um, yeah, like I just felt so alone, unsupported, like I had no voice and I had no opportunity to even have a discussion about anything, to even like try and have a trajectory of my own career. Um, And yeah, like I just think that these sorts of places, um, you know, there's, there's really no way to hold that kind of behaviour even accountable. I mean, even in my circumstances. So I'd previously worked with the CEO and when I, and I, you know, tried to figure out how this had happened, like I went into the new area and, you know, was doing really well and like making an effort and just trying to put things behind me. But, you know, there's certain things that you can't just like suck up and move on. And this was one of them. And so, yeah, like I, you know, called like I complained to the head of HR I met with him he actually said things to me that should not have been shared he divulged information about other staff members about what they were going through like personal details that should never be shared um and when those things happen, it makes you wonder like what else gets shared and how much of your situation is just like gossip and fodder for, um, for everyday chat, you know? Uh, so yeah, I met with him. That was fruitless. Um, he, I said, look, I don't actually want to hear the talking points. Like I actually just want the truth. Like I know that you guys write talking points for these situations and what managers need to say so that everyone stays on you know like towing the party line but I want to know who made that decision like when was that made how was that decision made and why was I moved into this area that I have absolutely no experience in um and yeah I could not get an answer I met with the deputy CEO or the acting deputy CEO who um like was pretending like it was her because she like wouldn't give an answer. Like there was just no straight answer. No one could give me an honest answer. No one could give me the truth. And I think the thing that frustrates people so much is when you've seen from the other side, like I worked to the CEO, I've seen how these people operate both sides, you know, like from the lowly worker person to the upper echelons of the executive. Like I see how they work. And so me calling it out and being like, I know that you've got talking points that you're just saying, and I don't want to hear those. I want to hear the truth. And surely that's not too hard. Um, And they just couldn't do it. Uh, Actually, the meeting that I had with the deputy CEO um, and HR, I like, there was some interactions prior to that. And I ended up calling the CEO and telling them what was going on. And they were shocked. And they had been blamed for the for like the decision, um, saying that they had made the decision. And so I flat out asked them straight away. I was like, look, I don't normally do this. And I don't, you know, I don't use my access to people, you know, for my own worth, like for my own gain. Like so many people do, I just don't operate like that. Like I'm not this whole tit for tat thing and what you can do for me. Like, I don't care. I treat everyone, um, as, as they are. Right from the CEO to the cleaner. And I think that that's a testament of people is how they treat people that cannot do anything for them. Um, but anyway, I spoke to them and they apologized profusely, but also told me that they did not make that decision. And so I could not get anyone to actually own the decision or how it was made. Um, yeah. And I just think that like sharing these things, it's not, And this is not a blame, like a naming and blaming, you know, kind of exercise either, like because I don't think that that's necessarily helpful because there's so many organisations that are actually just fucking awful. And so you can sit here and say, oh, this place is awful and this place is awful, but what we... What we need to do is actually, you know, in these circumstances, actually take a cold, hard fucking look at yourself and think about the organisation that you intentionally want to have, the organisation that you intentionally want to create, the environment that you intentionally want to have. Like this is not just one and I mean it was pretty horrific, like obviously not, not a great time. But equally, like I was talking to colleagues around this same place who were you know not coping like they were mentally not well because of the way that they were treated in this organization and you know this comes back to like putting the onus back on the individual is not though like is not the fucking answer organizations need to stand up and actually be held accountable for the way that they treat people and for the way that they do things. I mean, and I did look at doing that because obviously being a public service organization, there's some other uh, remit that they need to go through, but I wasn't ready at the time. I was still processing, you know, this situation. Like I was highly emotional because I was alone. There was no help. There was no support. Turning around and telling someone, oh, you just need to go see the EAP? Fuck off. How is that going to help? I was already seeing a therapist, you know, I and my therapist actually, you know, Pointed out just how awful the workplace was. That actually, I was coping better with the situation that I'd been in, and it was actually the workplace that was more, you know, soul destroying and detrimental to my own mental well being than the than having than enduring a miscarriage on my own. Um, and yeah, like I just think. We need to share our stories a lot more, but obviously when it's safe to do so, and I can, I feel like I can share this now because I've been out of it for a little while. Um, and I, you know, I don't intend to go back into government work because in my experiences, it's the least supportive. Um, I think it depends on your team, like, you know, and like your immediate team is fine. That's okay. But still like you still have to deal with these types of executives that are quite happy to not take any responsibility and blame shift constantly. I mean, we're seeing it play out through this robo debt inquiry, which is awful. Like it's beyond awful. And it it highlights how so many of these organizations actually work. And it highlights just how out of touch with society they are how out of touch they are with the ramifications of their actions and and that's the thing that you know really needs to be taken a cold hard look at is the ramifications of actions and so yeah i hope that in sharing some of my story it helps you to realize where you know, maybe parts of your life aren't being as supportive as they could be. And perhaps you're doing everything that you can personally, but it's actually the environment that you're in that is impeding that healing journey for you. So this has been probably a bit more of a rambly episode. Um, but I was interviewed not that long ago, um, about my experience and, I realized that e is something that I do want to share and talk about a lot more. Um, because the more we're able to share these experiences, the more we're able to not feel so alone in them. And so, even if you don't reach out um, and just, yeah, listen and take it in and realize that these things happen and that they're fucking awful. And we do need to talk about them a lot more because it's not okay. And I think we get, you know, kind of pushed into this silence that we don't deserve to be in. And also, you know, miscarriage is a club that nobody wants to, no one wants to join. We don't actively choose to be part of it. We don't actively, you know, want to feel that way that our body has, has it, there's something wrong that we weren't able to, that we weren't able to, you know, like bring a life to full term. It's incredibly challenging. And so, yeah, I just hope that this helps people to not feel as alone. And if you do or would like support, um, please reach out. I do love getting in touch with you all and, yeah, and listening to where you're at too. So as always, thank you so much for listening and you can like, follow, subscribe. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, you know, all the different things. Um, I'm probably not great at being consistent on a lot of them, but we're trying. So anyway, thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a fabulous week.